good song, great message, appreciate that. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew 25, Matthew 25. Of course, we've been addressing and dealing with the judgments, different judgments, and of course, we um, talked about judgment number one, which was the cross. And from the cross, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, died there on Calvary, but he was buried and he rose again the third day. And of course, we are understanding as from our Sunday school lessons, as we'll look at even this week, you know, we talk about Pentecost and just the empowering of the church. We know that the church age is really moving in the right direction and going full force by the time the Holy Spirit shows up, things are moving now like at rapid pace. And we see that through the church age, uh, the church is uh, getting the gospel out. And then, of course, the rapture takes place. 
uh, the church is removed and taken out. And we then saw that there'll be a couple of judgments that are taking place. One, we see that on earth we have the tribulation. And of course, we know that the Jews being judged in the tribulation period, an earthly people being judged on earth. And then we have also in the heavenlies, the judgment seat of Christ taking place. So while the tribulation is taking place on earth, the judgment seat of Christ is taking place in heaven. And uh, the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. And of course, the uh, tribulation, as we mentioned already, is for the Jew. Tonight, we want to continue our study in the judgments, and we want to talk about judgment number four, the judgment of the nations. Judgment of the nations. So take your Bible as you're there, or you probably are there, Matthew 25. I've asked you to turn there, so we're going to begin in verse 31. Matthew 25, we're going to begin in verse 31. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory. And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee? Or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart! From me ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless our time now around your word. We thank you, Father, for the clarity of it. We recognize and understand that, Lord, in the world in which we live, not everyone is as excited or anxious to read about these judgments. Lord, even in our own lives, Lord, we shudder to think of how miserably short we're going to fall in so many categories and areas. And yet we are so grateful and thankful that we will not face you to be judged for our sin. 
Thank you that we'll never have to worry about whether or not we spend eternity with or without you. We'll be with you forever. But Lord, these that are being mentioned here will go on into eternity without you. Lord, it's not a pleasant thought to think about living forever without the love of God in our lives, without you touching us daily, without you making a difference each and every moment and each and every breath. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would just bless us tonight. May you fill me with your spirit and enable me, Lord, just to proclaim your truth as you would have it. Father, may you just, again, anoint every listening ear. And Father, may we truly bring glory and honor to you and everything that's said and done this evening. Father, again, fill me with your Holy Ghost and allow me to be your mouthpiece tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In this particular passage, <clears throat> the sheep represent one class of nations, while the goats another class. We look at the brethren as he speaks about the brethren. You did it under the least of these, my brethren. He's talking about the Jews. Of course, he was a Jew. The Lord Jesus was. They were his brethren, and they still are. And we see that here in that situation as he speaks there in the book of Matthew. He says, listen, uh, I'm telling you, these are my brethren. If you did it unto the least of one of them, you did it unto me. It's clear then from the passage that the nations are going to be divided into two distinct and very different groups. As he mentions it in the passage, he makes the distinction of sheep nations versus goat nations. The sheep nations, he says, are going to end up on my right hand, and the goat nations are going to end up on my left hand. And those sheep nations are going to be given an invitation, an invitation to inherit the kingdom. While the goat nations, on the other hand, are going to be discarded into everlasting fire. So when will this judgment take place? As we read about it in Matthew chapter 25, when does it actually happen? Uh, when's it going to take place? Ultimately, uh, you know, when and where? I mean, we want to understand a little bit about it, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> so the time when it's going to happen is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We talk about the rapture of the church that takes place at the end of the church age. We talk about the tribulation period, <clears throat> which is a seven-year period. But before that happens, there's a rapture, the seven-year tribulation, and then all of a sudden there's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation is Him being revealed. He's coming from the sky down to the earth. When He comes in the rapture, He comes in up to the clouds. That's as far as He goes, to the clouds. Then we go up to meet Him in the air. But boy, at the revelation, He literally comes down, plants His feet on the Mount of Olives, and as we're going to see, He's going to judge. <clears throat> So that takes place at the revelation of Christ. And that's when he comes back, of course, to establish and set up the millennial kingdom. The place that it's going to take place is the valley of Jehoshaphat. It's in the vicinity of Jerusalem. Turn, if you would, to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. Just go back in your Bible, if you're in Matthew, just about 40 or 50 pages. It'll be there somewhere, right? 
It's mixed in with Jose and all those boys. They're, they're, they're a rough crowd over there. <clears throat> hey, yo, Joel. <clears throat> you find him yet? Yeah, I hear pages rustling. It's a rough one. It's tiny. <clears throat> Not much to it. When you get to those minor prophets, you get really excited if they're the last books you need to read before you get through the, book, the Bible in a year. You know what I mean? You're like, wow, I can knock this out in no time. It's like one chapter of Isaiah equals like all the minor, cha- minor prophets, you know? Like, Ooh, this is good. <clears throat> it's not really true, but it, it feels that way sometimes. <clears throat> all right, so Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says there, he says, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now again, He says, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. We know that Israel has been scattered abroad. We know that the nations have sent them around the world. And uh, as a result, they've been experiencing all kinds of problems. Nobody likes the Jews. Everybody's hated the Jews for centuries and centuries and centuries. It's just amazing how they've endured throughout the centuries. It is a miracle in and of itself. It is literally God's hand on that nation, preserving them and protecting them despite everybody's attempts to truly annihilate them. And so here they are now in the passage, and we see that the Lord is bringing them all back together into the land, and Jesus himself is coming back. He makes it very clear here that He's going to gather not only them into their land, but he's going to gather all nations. I think it's important to recognize that God is dealing with nations here. We are so individually focused in our, 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 our grace uh, period of, 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 of church history that it's hard for us to imagine God dealing with anybody any differently than he does us. And yet he did, he did deal differently with people in the Old Testament. He dealt with people as nations, we're going to see, and he's going to judge as nations here again when he comes back. So he's going to gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there he's going to, he's going to bring judgment. The Lord's going to gather them right there in the valley of Jehoshaphat. You say, well, where's that at? Well, the valley of Jehoshaphat is also known as the Kidron Valley. You say, well, that clarifies it real good. Thanks. Well, it lies between, if you want to talk about Jerusalem itself, if you'd go there to Jerusalem, you'd see that this valley of Jehoshaphat there somewhat kind of begins and is kind of a, it it kind of focuses our attention there uh, in in Jerusalem, but it lies between the old city, if you'd look up on the the old city with its little walls there, and uh, then you'd also, it lies between there and the Mount of Olives. So the old city and the Mount of Olives, and there's a valley between them. The old city over here, the Mount of Olives over here, so here and here, and there's a valley in between. That's the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Kidron Valley. 
Now that valley runs quite a distance and quite a ways. As a matter of fact, it runs down past the Dead Sea on into the Red Sea and it goes about 200 miles. But as we consider where the Lord probably will gather all these nations, the primary focus will be Jerusalem. And there the Antichrist will be compelled to bring the nations together for war and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and we're going to see Armageddon take place and then we're going to see the Lord step up to the plate and say, all right, it's now time to judge the nations. It's going to be in that vicinity or that area. So in Joel chapter 3 verse 2, again, God said he's going to gather all the nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And prior to that judgment, it appears that there's going to be a great battle that takes place. It's kind of pretty obvious in Scripture. It's not pretty obvious, it's real obvious. You're in Joel now, look at verse 11. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 11. We often refer to this as Armageddon. People get all bent out of shape. You know, they hear about bad things going on in the Middle East and they say, Oh no, I hope this isn't Armageddon. It's like, are you a Christian? Yeah. You need to read your Bible, friend. Because you're not going to be around for Armageddon. At least not as a human being like you are now. You're going to have a new body by then. You'll be coming back with the Lord, and trust me, He's going to take care of business. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about Armageddon if you know the Lord's your Savior. Now, there's always skirmishes and there's problems leading up to it, so we'll get to enjoy a lot of that mess probably. But the fact is, is that we won't be there as far as have to worry about handling it and going through it as the church. We won't do that. Joel chapter 3, verse 11, Assemble yourselves, and come all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Again, what we're seeing here is obviously the nations being gathered together. But then when the Lord returns, there's going to be a great war. And in this particular case, put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Man, I mean to tell you, it's going to get ugly. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 20, because I believe we're seeing the same passage being played out in the book of Revelation as John himself sees it unfolding before his very eyes. I believe when John was on the Isle of Patmos and he, the Bible says that he went up, and I believe that John literally saw the future. I don't think that he just had a dream. I think he literally saw what was happening before his very eyes. And there he's trying in his limited scope of understanding to put into words what he was seeing. Can you imagine if you were catapulted 2,000 years into the future and you were then trying to describe in your own terms, based on your own perspective, what you were visualizing and seeing? Can you imagine how 
different it would sound coming from your lips than it would from somebody living in that day? So as we look at the book of Revelation, sometimes we may see things being described and shared in a way that sometimes might imply a little more than we can wrap our minds around, uh, from at least a little more than what he could wrap his mind around. I believe that the book of Revelation, for the most part, is extremely literal. I see what transpired and took place in Egypt as we look at the ten plagues and we see how God addressed and dealt with them and we see Sodom and Gomorrah and others like that. Listen, if God did that without the help of all of our technology and all of our so-called wisdom, I think he can do it again in the future. However, I'm sure there are some things that John saw that he could not put into words adequately in our vernacular. However, they were perfectly the way God intended them to be. Perfect the way God intended. And they've been saved throughout history. What if he would have said helicopter? Just by chance. Just let's just assume that John saw a helicopter. Let's just say he did. And, and, and I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying let's assume he did for just a moment. And he put in the Bible, I saw eight helicopters firing anti you know, aircraft missiles. How would that look in the Middle Ages? How could somebody in the Middle Ages have understood that? They couldn't have. And so what what we see transpiring and happening is is that God will use, I I think he described it the way he saw it. Now, here we are in Revelation. And here's John. And John He's, he's writing now under inspiration of the Holy Ghost in chapter 14, verse 14. He says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, I, 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 don't, think you, I don't think he saw anything but the Son of Man with a sharp sickle. <laughs> I don't think he described that any other way. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Anybody questioning whether that's judgment? I don't think so. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlong. That's sixteen hundred furlongs. A furlong is six hundred and sixty feet. So you take sixteen hundred times six hundred and sixty, that comes up to one million fifty-six thousand. You divide that by 5,280, which is a mile, and what you get is 200 miles. The Kidron Valley. And the horse's bridle is anywhere from four to six feet. What the passage is saying is that there's going to be this wine press of the wrath of God, 
and it's going to be there in Jerusalem, and it's as though there's this huge wine press set up, and the nations of the earth are going to be there, and God is going to literally crush them to the point where the blood will run four to six feet high through the valley down to the base. Can you imagine? We've never seen anything like that. Two hundred miles from Jerusalem down to the Red Sea, and as high as the horse's bridle. That's just can't even wrap our minds around that. So there's going to be a great battle that takes place, and those nations that remain are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. And again, as we begin reading these passages, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to kind of understand exactly. Okay, was it Armageddon that created all the blood, or was it Armageddon and the judgment? What was it? They're very closely related, aren't they? Jesus Christ is returning. And it's like, guess what? We're going to make some things right and it's going to happen quick. And what we see is a description now of the nations that remain following this warfare. And now they're being gathered before the Lord Jesus Christ to be judged as nations, not individuals, as nations. And the criteria for that judgment is very simple. It's how they treated the Jew during the tribulation period. We saw that over in the book of Matthew chapter 25. And it was pretty simple. When he simply says, he says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Again, he's gathered all nations, not individuals, nations. And, and, and ultimately they said, he says, for I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. He goes on to describe what they did for him. And ultimately, it's like, what are you talking about? You weren't even here. We never once saw your face. It couldn't be what you're telling us because it makes no sense to us. And he says, uh, well, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. It's the Jewish people. Ye have done it unto me. You ever hear somebody say something like, if you're going to get to them, you're going to have to go through me. Somebody say something like that. In this case, Jesus said, you know what? You did it to them, but let me tell you what, you were really doing it to me. When you were feeding them and you were clothing them and you were taking care of them, you were being kind to them, you were being kind to me, and now I stand to judge you, and I'm telling you, you are a sheep nation. Your nation supported my people, encouraged my people, helped my people, and now I want you on my right hand. But your nation, you didn't. Left hand. And we know how that ends. And thus we have the judgment, our fourth judgment that we're talking about. There are a number of judgments in the Bible, this one just being one that we're addressing and dealing with. But it's important. God is dealing with nations again now at this point. We, you and I, need to be extremely grateful and thankful 
that we don't live in the Old Testament. That we live in a New Testament where the Lord Jesus Christ paid for our sins. He died for you and he died for me individually and he provided us with an individual salvation. You enter into the body of Christ personally through a personal relationship, but it wasn't always like that. And so we're grateful today for what we have. But in that day, he will gather those nations together. Here he comes. The wine press. The wrath of God. It's going to be ugly. So the sheep nations will go on into the millennium. The goat nations will, for at least as nations, they will not go into the millennium. So what if there's a righteous person in their midst? Yeah, they might sneak in, I guess. But as a nation, for sure, they'll never go in. Because he's judging them as nations. Listen, I'm going to tell you, as a... As a, as a uh, an American citizen, I want my nation, and I know it's not the tribulation period, but I want my nation to do their best to try to help Israel. <laughs> I just, I'm a little funny about that, because it seems like God's pretty serious about people who don't like his people. I'm just saying, we better be a little careful with that. I'm not saying that, that somebody, you know, comes over here and they're, they're Jewish and they say, well, you know what, I, I'll sell you a car for 20000 and the guy beside him says, I'll sell it for ten, and he says, well, it's, you know, my car's better because I'm a Jew. I'd be like, forget it, I'll buy the $10,000 one, thank you. If it's the same car, you know, and I'm not talking about that kind of thing, but I'm talking about policies and things that we're addressing and dealing with and our support of Israel over there in the Middle East. I'm going to tell you, I, I, you say it's political, you say whatever you want. I believe it's biblical. I mean, it's a biblical issue. You don't have to agree with that, but then again, you should read the Bible. You know what, I'm, I'm, I'm about tired of backing up all the time and apologizing for what we believe. No, I, don't, I believe this because it's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that, again, I don't think that we have to bow down to anybody as a nation. But let me tell you something. We ought to just uh, give God his kudos and say, you know what, if they're your people, then we're going to do our best to be on their team. They need us, we'll help them. I don't even want to get started on politics. I'll go crazy. I'm going to start, I'll run for president I start that. <laughs> I'll tell you, if I wasn't a preacher, I think I would. I was, some, somebody needs to do something around here. Hey, by the way, just let me throw this out. Do you know one of the best ways you could change your community, change the world in which our children live? Get on a school board. Think about it sometime where you'll determine the curriculum and what they're being taught in the schools. You say, well, we don't go from all that public school stuff. Well, you know what? You better think about it because your kids are going to be growing up in a society that's being influenced and impacted by it. It'd be nice if we could affect those schools. I'm not saying throw your kid in them. I'm just saying the school board might be a place where you can make an impact for Christ. That's just throwing that out there. Preacher, you're the best tonight. This is awesome. You're really giving it to us. You, you really love us that you're telling us the truth. Yes, I do. 
Okay, so we're going, I'm almost ready to close. I'm just trying to fill space here. <coughs> so we've looked at past judgments, right? We saw Adam and Eve in the past. We've seen Noah in the flood in the past. We've seen Sodom and Gomorrah in the past. We recognize the Canaanites who were in the promised land, and God said, you remove those Canaanites because of their immorality and their idolatry. You do away with it. That was a judgment. They could have gotten right with God. They could have repented, but they didn't, and so God had them removed. Matter of fact, he removed them by annihilating them. Why? Because God felt it was better in the, for the future to get rid of the, the cancerous sin that was being promoted and propagated rather than to allow it to continue and to destroy generation after generation after generation. We need to think about that in our own homes and lives sometimes. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, we see the blessings and the cursings of Israel where God says, I'm going to bless you if you do this. I will curse you if you do this. If you don't do this, I'll curse you. If you do this, I won't. I'll bless you. Do you realize that the curses are 75% more, uh, are, uh, appear almost 75% of the time, the blessings only 25? You think, what is that about? I think it's interesting, though. You think about that. Three times as many curses as there are blessings. Why? What, what are we to learn from that? And I think it's kind of simple when you really think about it. That... Mankind responds better to judgment or punishment than he does to blessings or promises of good. That's the best way man threatened to punish them and they comply. That's the best way. Obviously God thought it was because he had to put three times as many curses than he did blessings. Why wouldn't he just fill it up with blessings? And the people went, oh, God's so good. God's going to give me all these wonderful things if I just obey him. I'm just going to keep obeying the Lord. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to have to do this too if you don't. And we're raising a generation of kids where we say all that matters. You're just a good kid. You're all right. You're good. You're okay. It's all right. What are the curses? Where's the punishment at? Do you know your children respond better to punishment than they do to the, the promise of reward? It's a biblical principle. It's how God treated his children. He said, no, 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 no. Oh, yes, yes. No, 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 yes. He said, spanking, 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 spanking. Ah, uh, blessing, blessing. Spanking, spanking. Don't forget, spanking, don't forget, spanking. Blessing. Don't forget. You say, that's crazy. Okay. You raise them the way you want. I'm seeing a generation being raised unlike the Word of God says to. It's totally anarchy out there. But I mean, we're the, we're the ones that are abusers. People that spank their kids, you're an abuser. You're abusing your children. Oh, you mean it's not an abuse to let them grow up and die from fentanyl use? That's not abuse? To let them grow up and think that they can make whatever choices they choose without consequences? That's not abuse? To let them completely and totally destroy their physical bodies before they're even of the age of 12 years old because they decide they don't want to be what they say, that what God says they are? That's not abuse? I don't know about you, I'll just stick with the Bible. 
So the next time I go to the grocery store, if I got my grandkids, I don't th say, guess, well, I, with my grandkids it's different. But when I had my kids, <laughs> I'm thinking, no, my, my, my kids will never let me have the grandkids if I do this. But anyway, if they're, <laughs> grandkids are off limits, right? But the kids, when I meet with the kids, it was never, hey, listen, it was never, if you guys are good, we'll go get ice cream. It was, if you guys aren't good, you're going to get a spanking. You know why? Because that's more effective in the long run. And you know what? When they're good, guess what we do anyway sometimes? We give them some ice cream anyway. But we don't bribe them. We don't turn them into little terrorists. If you don't give me nothing, I won't do it. What are you going to give me for being good? I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. Matter of fact, let's stop talking. So judgment's been a long time being employed, and unfortunately, judgment's coming in the future. You know what we don't want to talk about much as believers? Judgment. You know, people come to our services and we say, preacher, don't get too hot on the judgment. Just preach the love of God. But let me tell you, you don't need God's love if you don't believe there's judgment. There's a balance. I understand that. But you've got to be careful. We've stopped preaching judgment to a world that has been going downhill for a long time. And look what it's producing. A generation that wants nothing to do with God. And we said, well, just don't preach judgment and they'll come to God because he's so good. Well, where's it, where are they all at? Where's the evidence of that? I don't see it. I don't see it. We just need to preach the Bible the way God lays it out there. We need to be obedient to the word. And truthfully, the judgment's coming one day. The world doesn't necessarily just need to hear about God's love. They need to hear about God's judgment coming too. It's a balance, folks. It is balance. We've got to do this. It starts in our homes. And it goes right on through. The kids should grow up to love Jesus and love the Lord and love the church and love all of that. And if you do it right, they will. This idea that if you tell them they got to live a certain way, you're telling them to hold them to some kind of standard, they're going to hate God and hate the standard and they're going to rebel against the Lord. Eh, whatever. You believe the lies. That's not true. You know what I found? I found the more you introduce comfort into people's lives, you know what they want more of? Comfort. It doesn't motivate them to be tougher. It makes them weaker. And the more we keep lowering our standards in the Christian life and telling people you don't have to obey the Lord up to this, it's okay, you, don't, you just live to this standard. Stop, we're going to stop requiring, that's a little too high. All we're doing is just cutting ourselves off at the knees. The next generation will be weaker than ours and the next generation will be weaker than theirs and pretty soon there will be no generation. Will he find faith on the earth when he comes? I want to make sure he does. I think you do too or you wouldn't be here. So let's keep up the work. Don't give up now. Keep at it. Show love and kindness and consideration and treat your children with respect. I get all that. But let's make sure that we're holding people to some standards. Let's keep our expectations high. And let's hold our world to some expectations, too. Let's teach the truth. Let's not back down. You know, let's stand for Jesus and do it in a loving, kind way. And you can do both. And it works. Because it's God's way.
Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, that you'd help us. We do need you. And Lord, there's no doubt, Lord, that all of us can get a lesson on how to share truth in a more loving, kind way, probably. But Lord, on the other hand, help us, Lord, not to shy away from the tough conversations. Lord, you're going to judge the earth. You're going to judge believers even one day. Uh, Not in the same way, but Lord, we're going to stand before you and help us, Lord, to realize how important it is that we align ourselves with you and your word. Father, I want your blessings in my life, my family, my home. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are so anxious and willing to do so. But help me, Father, not to take for granted the blessings that you've bestowed upon me to somehow forget that you're still a righteous, holy God, that what you demand of me is perfectly right. You have every right to do so. You owe me nothing. I owe you everything. Father, bless us now, and may you be glorified in our lives and help us to be a blessing to others as we go through life. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed.